right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where we talk about relationships, culture, and dating from a male and female perspective. Today, we're talking about the limits of empathy. Can you possibly be too empathetic? Is there a point in which empathy becomes a hindrance? And we're going to get cracking on that at the three-minute mark. Uh, before we get onto that, we got an announcement. Since so many of you loved the uh, YouTube format of this so much, you loved the comment discussion, we have decided to start a YouTube channel. And the YouTube channel is youtube.com slash at sex sales podcast. So go and subscribe, uh, youtube.com slash at sex sales podcast. We're going to just be posting the full sex sales video podcast as well as a few highlights eventually. And we want to build that up. So um, it's pretty awesome that you guys love the discussion. And thank you for all the messages. Uh, egging us on to get that video back up. Couldn't resist seeing our faces. Um, uh, we're also sponsored by Comedy Untamed. If you want to come see a great stand-up comedy slash improv show in Sydney, Melbourne, or Newcastle, go to comedyuntamed.com. I'm there at most of the Sydney shows, some of the Melbourne shows, most of the Newcastle shows. we got... Uh, a Geelong show in the works, and we're hoped, hoping to open a Brisbane show later this year. So a lot of people are coming down to the show, very different to last year with all the rain. So uh, thank you guys if you've already come down and keep coming. Uh, we're also sponsored by Crush Organics. Crush have a huge range of CBD oil products. Uh, I've been using the pain cream uh, for my uh, sciatica, and it uh, works a treat, loosens up the muscles, relaxes everything. You can use it on any sore muscles or on uh, any muscle and it'll uh, increase the blood flow going there. So uh, go to crushorganics.com, use the code NEIL and you will get 40% off. Uh, if you've never tried CBD oil before, make sure you just read all the labels and start off with just a little bit. Uh, we're also going to be cancelling the, well not cancelling, but uh, stopping the subscription model at the end of February. So if you're a subscriber, stay tuned for either an email or uh, potentially just the subscription pausing. And then we're go, going to a one-off cost model if you'd like to send in a question, a topic, or a shout-out. Okay, I got most of that in before the uh, three-minute mark. As I said before, we're going to be talking about empathy. And let's get into it. Eliza, how are you? I'm pretty good. Same old. How are you? How have you been? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Can't complain. Um, enjoying the summer weather. It's uh, it's not raining anymore, which is always nice. Yeah. What hey. have you been up to otherwise? Uh, working? Yeah, just working. Just doing what I usually do. Uh, doing the shows, managing all that. Doing this, doing the podcasts and videos and yeah, nothing really new to report. Um, few... Uh, Interesting relationship stories happening in my friend group and also in my girlfriend's friend group, but um, they're a bit oh. too personal and heated right now. So uh, <sighs> maybe stay tuned for the for the debrief on that uh, on a later podcast. Damn, I love that stuff. You got me. You got me instantly excited. And then, yeah. No, then I just took now. it away. Yeah. <laughs> I've uh, started watching maps again, but uh, yeah, just uh, it's not hitting this season. You know, it's just not doing no, it for me. It's it's just like outrageous, outrageously bad. Yeah, it's very forced. I mean, it is entertaining yeah. and it's pretty cool that uh, it's gained traction across the world. Maths has become yeah. the Geordie Shore of Australia where people just get to look yeah, at the, so uh, true. the most uh, interesting <laughs> specimens of the uh, land down under interacting uh, in a relational context. And uh, yeah, it's uh, a lot like observing zoo animals. So uh, I definitely enjoy that aspect of it pretty funny True that. yeah True that. all right well like i said today we're going to be talking about uh empathy and whether uh it gets to a point where it becomes a hindrance i thought uh i thought there was this cool little quote that i read in a in an article about the limits of empathy in fact um it says empathy often leads people astray it influences people to care more about cute victims than ugly victims it leads to nepotism it subverts justice. Juries give lighter sentences to defendants that show sadness. It leads us to react to shocking incidents, like a hurricane, but not long-standing conditions, 
like a global hunger, like global hunger or preventable diseases. So I thought that's a good quote to jump into this topic. And uh, this was your idea. So tell me a bit about why you wanted to talk about this. Well, I came across something really interesting. Um, on Reddit, I saw someone make a, a comment about this and then I looked into it and I found out about this man called um, James Fallon and he was a top, uh, he's in his late 60s, maybe he's in his 70s now, but when he was, he's um, a neuroscientist, a top neuroscientist, and he actually studied the brains of psychopaths. So he went and interviewed them in prisons, he did all the assessments, he got brain scans, he did all these things. Um and then coincidentally, at the same time, he was also using, submitting his own brain scans to study Alzheimer's. And upon getting results of his, um, well, the Alzheimer's study brain scans, he saw a set of brain scans that were so shocking. And he said, these brain scans, who do they belong to? They align perfectly with um, the the, the um, studies I'm doing on psycho, uh, psychopathic traits. And they said, those are your traits. Um, well, those are your brain scans. So he then found out that he had all the traits of um, a psychopath, um, which, you know, isn't actually a formal diagnosis. A diagnosis is antisocial personality disorder. But I did a bit of a little dive into this guy and it's so fascinating because he, he when he started talking about um, psychopaths and their brains, his mum pointed out to him like, honey, have you looked at yourself? Um, and then talked about their family tree and that they have a lot of murderers in his family, all these, um, a lot of trauma and things like that. Um, and basically what he found from his studies was that the trait that um, comes across with people that have psychopathic symptoms, it's inherited from your mother. Um, and then it can be, I guess, for lack of a better word, unlocked by a significant childhood um, trauma event, like really severe trauma event. So people that have the trait without the trauma um, may just be a little bit more um, highly intelligent, charismatic, yet cold and can make higher risk-taking decisions. Um, But when people that have that trait um, or, or gene, sorry, unlocked by some kind of trauma, it can very easily evolve into a high levels of violence, um, et cetera, um, as the people he studied, he found. And so when he discovered that he had this trait himself, he went and spoke to a lot of people and he did um, conferences across the world um, and with neuro um, surgeons, neuroscientists, uh, psychiatrists, all these people. When he put his brain scans up, everyone was shocked and talked about them. And in other countries, people would say oh, he also has bipolar. But in America, his brain scans didn't um, or he also didn't qualify to have bipolar. So it's interesting how it's different amongst countries um, what well, I guess the criteria for it. Anyway, so he then went and spoke to everyone he knew and every single person was like, yeah, <laughs> this is so obvious. Um, ob- yeah, like it's pretty wow. it's pretty clear. Um, he was known to be brutal, kind of lack empathy, um, yet he did some of the most significant and amazing research and findings in the world um, and what we know today about psychology and things like that. So in, in, I guess the point is, is that he had such a significant part of and contribution to society, despite not being neurotypical. And I guess where an empathy kind of comes into this as well is that he spoke about how he has like a lot of um, narcissistic traits, um, extremely highly inflated ego, um, and he spoke about how if someone does him wrong, one of the things is he has to gain revenge. And he said a normal person will get mad. They'll stay mad for a day or a week or whatever. He said, I can stay the same level of angry for five years if someone wrongs me. And he said, I will wait and plan the perfect time and I will execute revenge on them always. But they'll never know it's from me. It'll seem like a random life event. They probably don't even remember who I am, um, but I will always get my revenge. And then he kind of softens it by saying, but I only do it to the same extent that they wronged me. So he never goes above and beyond. <laughs> he keeps the field nice um, even. And, he's, and yeah, he's so lovely. And he speaks about how he relates strongly to um, Dexter and he felt that that was a good representation of um, 
of it. And he said, you know, there's a lot of things that I can't really talk about about my past and that my family don't know about. Um, but people see Jesus. me as like this charming, extremely smart neuroscientist and he's married as well. I don't know if he has kids. I, I, I can't remember. Oh, I bet you he has but a few he, across the country as well. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> he wouldn't care. Um, and he said um, as – as an experiment and as part of his ego, he thought, well, I can, I'm going to prove that you can outsmart it and you can overcome it or whatever, which he couldn't, but he feigned empathy um, and he feigned compassion and all of a sudden people around him were much more receptive to him. People were talking about the difference, saying they really liked him. His wife was much happier and he even told his wife by the way, I'm faking this. Like I don't genuinely mean, I'm not actually concerned for you. I'm just pretending to be. And she actually said, I don't care. Like this just feels so nice. Um, Isn't that interesting? Which is sad. And he said, yeah. And it's interesting to think like how their marriage lasted this long and was so successful because he'd say, you know, if there was someone in the family that died, um, I wouldn't go to their funeral because I didn't want to. Like I couldn't be bothered. I'd go to a party. (laughs) I'd go to something more fun. Like he didn't do anything he didn't want to do yeah, people just thought maybe it was because he was such a highly intelligent, you know, high-earning person that he was cocky or whatever. But really he had the same traits as a psychopath. So it kind go. of got me thinking about there are so many benefits as well to people that are neurodiverse um, and and maybe having empathy isn't the be-all, end-all and isn't actually an essential needed part of society functioning. Well, it is, but maybe not for every single person. Um, so yeah, that kind of got me down this little rabbit hole. Yeah. Well, men should fake empathy and women should fake orgasms. And then <laughs> that's how you create a happy marriage. <laughs> Done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> em- empathy is an interesting one because in a interpersonal context, it's, um, vital, you know, to have, yes. um, long-term healthy relationships with your friends and with your partner and with just the people in your social structure you need to have a degree of empathy but there is a point at which it becomes well there was this article as well that was talking about how it becomes performative so empathy can be a feeling that you express that allows you to feel a sense of virtue but it doesn't necessarily result in anything Uh, for example we see a lot of this online now with performative social justice hey i feel for these people I'm going to post something about it because that's me expressing how empathetic I am. Well, awareness only um, affects outcomes to a certain degree. Uh, There are different contexts in which awareness and mass awareness from social uh, media can be effective, but it also can, um, it it, it can become actually an indicator of uh, narcissism or maybe, you know, self-absorbed, a self-absorbed nature if you're constantly posting about how empathetic and virtuous you are without necessarily doing anything. I think, as you say, society has like an ideal point of empathy. And I guess what I observe right now is that politically, it it, it seems to be um, far more uh, far more lopsided in terms of which side uh, uses empathy the most or sees empathy as a higher order value. Uh, when you look at, I guess, the progressive side of politics, if you want to call it the left, the cultural left, whatever, it's uh, definitely puts empath- empathy really high on their uh, hierarchy of values. Um, but to the extent where it could actually be detrimental, it's sometimes very hard for groups on the progressive left to form a structure with authority and a hierarchy, which can actually be advantageous to that group in the long term. And then I suppose you look at something like the the military or a militaristic operation and that's where all empathy and all sense of individual uh, nature and individual essence are completely eroded and you have to submit to the authority and you have to work as a unit and your sense of self is uh, absolved uh, for uh, the aims of the group and I wonder if you know throughout history populations that could actually turn on and off their empathy, if that makes sense, had an advantage over populations that couldn't because in chimp society, they're also they're, they're not particularly empathetic, particularly the males in, in chimp society, whereas you look at bonobos, they're extremely empathetic um, and more you know, maternal or, or, or feminine as a, as a society. And 
we're both human beings are equidistant from both of these ape species and yeah it makes me it makes me think uh how much uh, of uh these dark triad or now dark tetrad traits are just uh you know turned on due to the environment and can actually be advantageous i mean if someone is brought up in a situation where no one offers them empathy and they have to be very cold callous and calculating to survive and to thrive it makes perfect sense that that gene would sort of be switched on and that can be very helpful for them and then i think something we were talking mm-hmm. about in in a podcast a couple of a couple of weeks ago where uh the archetypes in a lot of uh, female romantic literature are often these kind of dark tetrad type guys who are extremely mm-hmm. powerful or have the capacity for power and aggression and um uh violence even but they have that under control because like with the guy you were talking about uh, often people who can maybe turn off their empathy or have less of it but then are also highly intelligent and motivated and conscientious are often the most successful people uh particularly in certain industries um i guess on that sort of political scale you could almost see an industry scale like that where i always talk about how the arts is very much focused on the individual and the inner world and and you know the manifestation of that inner world in in the form of your art whereas again something like the military is like the complete opposite of that at least at least from my observation and yeah it's very interesting the sort of the range of uh, empathy within a society and how that empathy can even be weaponized against a population and against a person and yeah. you know we have that um that, um identifier of empath that a lot of people still tend to use and uh we've had we've had things <laughs> oh, to say yeah. about those people uh, on previous uh, podcasts as yeah. well but yeah it is very interesting and 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 I wonder if you know today we're at a point where um maybe maybe there's a an abundance of of empathy at least at least on at least on social media at least uh what we sort of strive for but uh the actual objective reality or like the the you know the way that we can um offer compassion to marginalized or uh people who have been hard done by by a certain society is not necessarily just empathy sometimes the compassionate thing to do is tough love and uh harsh restrictions and that uh that actually helps a group or a person in the long term whereas just just uh indulging in your sense of empathy can sometimes just make that individual person feel good and the person the arbiter of that empathy feel good both of them feel good in the moment yeah. but then nothing actually changes so i could go and yeah. walk past a homeless person and feel a strong sense of empathy which i generally do unless they're yelling profanities or uh, a few weeks ago in melbourne a guy had his dick out just just pissing on the road as you do it's, <gasps> it's a bit hard to have empathy in that in that context but um just oh, feeling empathy doesn't God. doesn't necessarily do anything it just makes you feel a bit good about yourself so um yeah what what moving on to uh yeah how that maybe that discussion can manifest on a societal level or um how we can best yeah. utilize empathy and find the ideal point um for our, uh, us as, as individuals but also as a population what do you what are your broad thoughts well, on, I guess- on that Firstly, um, when you talk about, like when we think about empathy and why it exists, firstly we need it to look after our young and our babies, first and foremost, to continue the population. And I feel that I'm reading a book, I can't even remember what it's called. I think it's actually called The Empathy of Love or Just Empathy. Um, I'll, I'll find out and post it on my Instagram story or something. But it is about how you need empathy in order to to raise um, effective and productive children to make positive members of society, at least one positive, empathetic, um, not not positive, but at least one empathetic caregiver um, needs to have empathy in order to raise children um, to live a more fulfilling life. Um, that is for neurotypical children, though. They didn't say much about raising, you know, the, the essential of empathy when raising neurodiverse children or whatever. Um, but also, so there's that. And there's also that we needed empathy in order to survive in our tribes back in the day. So social connection and agreement was so essential. Um, otherwise there'd be conflict all the time, fighting, death. So empathy 
was essential then. And then I've seen things, um, like you said now, about like, well, we no longer need empathy to survive in tribes, so do we need this level of empathy that we have currently? Um, And then you also think about, you know, people that are neurodiverse, it's relatively new. Like it's not not new um, to be neurodiverse, but it's new to understand neurodiversity and to understand that you may have it. And when you think about that from an aspect of, being in tribes, I believe that, you know, you may have needed majority, say 80% of people to have high levels of empathy and you may need people to be um, neurodiverse to make different decisions, make more risk-taking decisions. Um, Not that neurodiverse people don't have empathy. In fact, some people with autism have extremely higher levels of empathy. Um, I know a lot of people that are vegan that have autism because it's just they cannot envision any harm to any being. Um, But an interesting study I came across where they tracked, they did a survey of people to understand who may have, say, um, antisocial or psychopathic traits. and once they got those on who does or who doesn't, they gave them a secondary test, which was a virtual reality one, um, where they had to choose between either basically they're in a group of people, they have a soldier with them that's severely injured, and you have to decide, do you carry the soldier with you and risk getting captured and killed, or do you kill an already severely injured soldier and move on and escape with a much higher chance of surviving. And what they found is that almost all the empathetic people that that rated high in empathy wanted to save the soldier and bring him along too. And although when I think about it logically, I'm like, I would think about sacrificing it, but I wouldn't. I would probably be the one advocating the most, being like, well, let's bring him. Um, But they found that people that had antisocial personality traits or psychopathic traits were much more likely to make the logical decision saying this person needs to be um, killed. And what was interesting, though, is that as part of the virtual reality, they actually had to act it out. Like they had to do the the act, which seemed quite real. considering technology advancements, blah, blah. And the people that had psychopathic traits acted out fast, swiftly, emotionless, and it was just a per- there was a severe, like a strong purpose to it. It's done and it's bettered the whole community and the whole group that they're with and they move on. Um, so it didn't say much about the people that had high levels of empathy that decided okay, we need to kill this person and how they acted that out. But I'm sure it was pretty distressing, even though it was virtual reality. But yeah, I just thought that was um, that was quite interesting. And, and what you were saying as well about how I definitely, coming into this industry that I work in now, um, I've previously worked in working with, you know, in child protection, youth homelessness, um, family breakdown, like really strong cases of families that need a lot of Um, support and also a lot of abuse and violence and things like that. I went into this industry because of me having um, high levels of empathy. Otherwise, if I didn't have this high level of empathy, I probably wouldn't put myself (laughs) through some of the things I've had to go through um, and and see past that. Um, And in some ways, it's really benefited me to have these high levels of empathy and whether or not that's from a logical point or a selfish point, I'm not quite sure. Like when I had um, a workplace assault, I had an injury for nine months, a really severe back injury, but it helped me to process it thinking this person that did this to me was so, um, so they had drug addiction issues. They were so, um, you know, hard done by, by society. They had little to no support. Um, so many things that were happening for that person. I could understand why they they had targeted me and they also had probably, um, you know, they were having a mental health episode, so they weren't in their correct mind frame. Um, But like you said, there were times when I first went into the industry when I started working and I was 19 and I was working in in, uh, a youth centre and we had a lot of kids that were vulnerable coming in and I was so empathetic towards them and I wanted to save them all. And my God, did I try. And it took me maybe three or four years of working in this industry before I realized I'm actually not doing them the service that I think I'm doing by finding them accommodation, by finding them jobs for them, by reaching out to their families and um, with their consent, of course, and trying to resolve things. I needed to be teaching them those skills to do it themselves. It's like, what's that Bible quote? Like give a man a fish and he'll he'll eat for three days or teach a man to fish and 
he can survive. I don't know, something like that. It's very much like that. And I realized it was, what is the secondary gain here for me to be kind of putting all these people and all these clients and kids under my wings and trying to save them. And I have also done the same in my relationships as well. There is a secondary game there, whether or not I was acknowledging it at the time, I was very much, no, I'm doing this out of the pure goodness of my heart. And although sometimes I still think that um, there is a secondary gain to it. And it was that um, people were probably respecting me more or showing appreciation or um, needing me or coming to me with support support. And maybe that was inflating my ego or make it, maybe that was healing something in my inner child. I don't know, but I realized after a couple of years that it was, it wasn't, I was enabling them by thinking I was doing the best thing for them. Um, and when I switched my kind of approach to working with these families and clients to, I understand why you feel this way. And I, and that's come from empathy, having that understanding that's cognitive empathy. I understand what, what led you to this. I understand why this decision was made. I understand why this action was, um, completed by you, but what's the way forward? Here are some options. What are you going to do? What resources can you get yourself? Are there resources that you physically cannot do on your own that I can support with? But what can I teach in this person? And it's made a world of a difference. So now being before Matt leave, um, being a manager of a team, there's a big difference between people that were brought into this industry that had super high levels of um, like extremely empathetic, way more than even me, and seeing them kind of keep hold people or hold families or foster children um, or, you know, children of neglect in a place where they weren't progressing because, for example, if a kid lost their um, family and lost their home, sometimes you have to make really tough decisions and these children have to stay in hotels when we don't have foster carers available, et cetera. And it's really, really hard. And someone would might prefer to keep them with a family member that um, is actually more harmful with them because they don't want them to be feeling neglected or someone might choose to want to take this kid in themselves, which happens all the time. And it was so much more work for me to work with these people than those that worked with um, a little bit more logic to be like, here, here's actually what we can do. And, you know, this is a really shitty outcome, but this is what we need. This is the best for the long-term safety of this child, et cetera, um, that had slightly lower levels of empathy. That being said though, those that had a little bit less empathy, never lasted in the industry because they were like, why am I here? Like, this is so shit. (laughs) I'm burnt out. I'm abused every day and um, I'm done with it. So pros and cons. (laughs) Yeah. That's a very interesting journey that you've, uh, that you've gone on. And uh, I think uh, that's uh, a lot of people in care professions, I'd imagine go through a similar sort of journey. I'd imagine people in in nursing or people in, you know, charity work would start very wide eyed and idealistic about how they want to change everyone and and help the world. And then uh, as they go through uh, what I can only assume are very brutal, harsh experiences, they start to see things from a more logical or rational standpoint, Mm. just just for self-preservation. And, Mm. you know, I wonder if uh, the the people who tend to adopt the, the more rational and less empathetic political position on a macro scale are also people who have gone through harsher experiences in their life. I wonder if, you know, men who have been bullied when they were boys are are the ones more likely to think, well, people have to be tough and you can't always express your vulnerability and you always, um, there are, there are times in which you have to repress certain feelings because that's the way to survive. and, And that maybe manifests as like, that's the way for society to survive. Um, I think, you know, there are, there are people who can empathy tugs at our heartstrings like nothing else you know a good a good film a good piece of music a good video even is one that um allows people to feel a sense of empathy with the with the characters and go through that journey with them and and then when you kind of extrapolate that out for political or ethical arguments the empathetic position has an advantage in many ways um but it's not always the best position uh for example you take the the incidents that are occurring in America and we we see videos of uh, black men being um, killed horribly by by police and that tugs at our heartstrings and everyone is so empathetic to the position of a person who's been callously murdered but 
then when that manifests as defund the police, well, all the statistics show that results in more black people dying when there are no police in high crime neighborhoods. So it's very hard to make that argument often uh, in the heat of the moment. But uh, I would argue that there's a point at which the empathy can be a hindrance long term for the people that you're trying to help. And, and, and as you were talking about before that you've reflected upon in, in your life, there are, there are people who uh, gain a sense of purpose and meaning from caring for others who are in vulnerable positions. But what can subconsciously be occurring is they're keeping people down. They might be, you know, you think about, say, the emotion, an emotionally abusive or controlling mother who in her mind, in her conscious mind, is thinking, I'm doing what's right for my son. I'm caring for him. It's a dangerous world out there. I have to, I have to feed him. I have to take care of him. Uh, but then you look at it from a more rational viewpoint and you think, this guy's 32 years old. You got to let him <laughs> get out there yeah. in the world and experience some harsh things. And you've got to limit your own personal empathy there for the benefit of the person that you're trying to care for. And that's where you get to the other end of the uh, dark tetrad traits where people are subconsciously, purposefully keeping uh, individuals or groups in a state of vulnerability so they can feel a sense of purpose by caring for them. And yeah. it's a very hard argument to make to people that you at least yeah. from your best experience can observe are uh, experiencing that um, that phenomenon, but uh, it does definitely exist. And that is something that I think we have to be cognizant about in what I was talking about before, this kind of performative social justice, well, what is often performative social justice kind of world. Um, and we have to make sure at any in any given discussion, particularly in positions of political or corporate power, there are there is the voice of empathy and then there is the voice of whatever you want to call it, logic or the, just the left brain. And sometimes they butt heads and sometimes they disagree and sometimes it's uncomfortable, particularly for the person who is higher in empathy. But uh, the the solution that brings about the best of those two uh, phenomena that are, you know, that are extant within the human condition will ultimately be the best outcome. I can't, I can't say how it, it wouldn't be. And yeah, I guess I always uh, think about this on a, on a macro level and trying to think about individual experiences where I've, well, yeah, definitely when it comes to relationships as well, um, there's a point at which, you know, boundaries conflict with empathy. And if you are being you know, unrestricted in your empathy towards someone who might be uh, bad for you in the long term or might have some kind of trauma or just is a bad person uh, or has bad traits, that will bring you down at the end of the day. Now, there's a line, there's a tightrope there because you don't want to be too selfish with your boundaries either, especially if you're in a long-term committed relationship and especially if some sort of uh, you know tragedy happens that no one accounted for if someone's in a in a car accident or gets an illness or goes through something that, you know, then is going to take them years to overcome and, and they're unfortunately going to have some sort of bad, bad consequential uh, personality traits as they overcome that. I think in certain contexts, you know, in a long-term relationship, it's sometimes you do, you do have to, or, you know, maybe the most ethical position might be sticking around, but it also might not be. It just, it just depends. But, um, you certainly can take be taken advantage of if you are a highly empathetic person, but at the same time, if you if you don't have any empathy, you, yeah, you can be a psychopath. So um, I suppose you just have <laughs> what to. Would you rather? Yeah, yeah. Would you rather? But then at the other, yeah, the other sort of dark end of the scale is like if you're this empath, or you you're consciously an empath, but you're actually subconsciously keeping people in a position of vulnerability so that you can feel a sense of purpose by taking care of them, which is, um, it's not as, it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't jump out to us as something that is uh, destructive or bad behavior, but in the, yeah. in the long term it is. And that's also a, associated with yeah. these kind of dark triad or dark tetrad traits. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that 99% of people that are highly empathetic that kind of are accidentally enabling people have no 
understanding as to what the secondary gain is for them. They can say, oh, well, they've gone through this and they've gone through that, but they don't understand what is the gain for that person to enable it because it's such a subconscious thing and it may not even be enabling it. It may just be over supporting them. And it's in just in like you, you need this level of empathy for, like you said, like jobs in this care sector, nurses, social workers, um, therapists at times, you need that level of empathy in order. Otherwise no one would work there. Um, and, or you may not get the level of care that you need. And it's interesting to think about when you think about, um, for example, people that work in drug and alcohol, they love to hire um, people that have previously come through addiction or had experience with like that themselves. Um, The same for sex worker outreach programs. They want to hire people that have previously been sex workers. However, when it comes to other things like social work um, or in my industry or or even um, therapists or counseling, psychologists, et cetera, if someone, when I interviewed people, if they told me that they were really into wanting to come into this job um, because they themselves had been a child of the system or they had experienced this, this, and this, um, it was always it's not a red flag, but it always put me on very high alert, whether or not it's going to be appropriate to hire that person, not necessarily because it will just one be extremely triggering to them, but two, because you can only fight this. People want to work within the system to fight the system. Um, but sometimes you have to work within the system and work with the way the system is. Um, so we would find, you know, we'd, we'd have therapeutic workers come in that had experienced these things themselves. Um, and they would do everything to fight um, the government pr- like policies and this and that and say, no, I'm not doing this and no, I'm not doing that to try and save this child. But really, and making all that, they're making fake promises. Well, they don't believe it, but they are making fake promises to these families or children and the outcomes of that can be so detrimental. That being said, there's been many times where I rely on people's high levels of empathy in this sector in order to have the outcomes that I need. So we based our, our um, organization of this model called ARC, which is Attachment Regu- Regulation and Competency. It's a therapeutic model. And it's basically the, the whole concept of it is that this person is this way because of this. And by understanding this and holding empathy and compassion for that person, you can better help them because if you don't have compassion for them or high levels of empathy, you're going to be frustrated. And a really good example of that, and I've talked about this kid a couple of times, that we had a 12-year-old boy um, who was living in hotels and he had 24-7 care workers and he'd gone from home to home to home to home. And his care workers that were hired from a different organization basically were dropping the ball so um, significantly and they were getting so frustrated with him. He was a bit aggressive. He would make mess. He was extremely defiant. He had thousands of <laughs> diagnoses basically. And what I ended up doing was I got every single care worker that works with him into a room. Um, there was like 50 of them. Um, this is an extremely high needs child. And I sat them down and I told them the story of this kid from start to finish, everything that he had gone through, the abuse he endured, the homes, you know, all these things. And everyone, people were tearing up, people were crying. And long story short, those issues never arised again. Um, So whether or not, maybe that was manipulative of me or maybe that was using empathy or whatever. I don't know. I don't care to be honest because it worked because people then went, left that room seeing this kid in a different light and seeing him instead of being um, a difficult child to seeing some him being as really hurt. But then, like you said, some people that are like that really naturally can get stuck in interpersonal relationships that are so toxic and so unhealthy um, where they're being taken advantage of and people are using their empathy to get what they want. So, and I've experienced that myself dating, you know, a, a, a dickhead, <laughs> just some, something horrific. And then said, I've just been really struggling with, you know, when my, I was 12, my parents divorced <laughs> or something. And I was like, Oh, I well, understand. That's, that- that's so hard. And then you forgive them. Like, it's just it, having extremely high levels of empathy can blur boundaries. And it's really, really, 
dangerous um, game to play in that aspect. And you need to be able to hold empathy, but also hold more, more importantly is hold firm on your boundaries and how much of yourself can you give out to other people? Because you only have so much in your own cup that you can pour into others. Um, And self-preservation is by far the most important thing and highly empathetic people when they hear that, they're like, oh, that's narcissistic or that's self-centered. No, it's survival. And it's also bettering everyone around you as well. Um, so it's a it's a hard thing to for highly empathetic people to hear. People that have a lot of logic or maybe lower le- levels of empathy will hear that and be like, yeah, 100%. And other people will be like, yeah, I disagree, <laughs> which is fair. <laughs> you know, you can disagree with anything. But it's it's hard to understand when you're in the midst of it, isn't it? Absolutely. And what you were talking about there with the – you know, the, the analogy that's often used is the cup and, you know, in a good yeah. relationship, two people have their cup full and can give to the other person. Uh, but it is a, it's a zero sum game. If you, if you are in maybe one of these care professions and you're having to exhaust uh, that, you know, arsenal of empathy throughout your day, through your career, then from what I've heard, it can often be very hard to, to be as highly empathetic with a partner. Um, yeah. depends person to person and, and every person has a different degree of which, uh, they, they have the capacity to extol empathy, but, uh, that, that you're right. There definitely is a point to which, um, it's detrimental on an individual relational context. And there's a, there's a point to which it's detrimental on a societal context with various political positions, um, which I know I keep <laughs> coming back to, but that's, I think that's, that's just a very, uh, prominent thing that, should be delved into further with uh, the way our our discourse is, especially with clickbait headlines and social media. It's very easy to market a certain political position as the empathetic one. And then um, you can actually weaponize any dissent. Uh, Sorry, you can can use um, empathy to you can weaponize empathy against dissent, basically. So you if if a a certain political position is gatekept as the only position to uh, bring about positive change, well, anyone who disagrees with that position is considered a bad person. And that's really toxic when it comes to political discourse. Um, mm-hmm. That's, I guess, the bastardized version of of uh, empathy and, and, and caring about mental health because then circumstances and mental health can become an ex- excuse for what is objectively bad behavior. I mean, I just remember this former NRL player was literally sexting, you know, underage boys or you know, on a, on a pedophile sex hotline and he goes, oh, I was struggling with my mental health. It's like, mate, there's a lot of people who struggle with their mental health and don't become freaking pedophiles. Yeah. So <laughs> that's where the, yeah, yeah the, the bastardized version of this culture of let's care about men's mental health. Let's, let's be really empathetic towards men and the struggle they're going through and, and just people, not just men and, and, and the struggle they're going through. Well, Anyone can just use that excuse then, oh, my mental health, and then that absolves them of uh, responsibility for what are terrible actions to the people that you, you know, uh, con- conducted those actions against, but also just s- there's a cost to society as well when um, people are excusing themselves for those actions, and uh, that's another uh, limit to empathy, at which point it can become detrimental. And I remember I used to do a joke um, – well, it's hardly a joke. It's a bit more serious, isn't it? Uh, about I'd, I'd sort of set it up by saying, you know, talking about empathy and and saying how uh, there's a point to which it becomes dangerous, and then I'd ask the audience, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend to be someone and tell me if you feel empathy for this person." And I'd sort of put on a character and and be like, oh, "I've come I've come to the end of my road. I all I wanted to do was what's best for my people and help them." feel a sense of purpose and meaning, but I've failed. And um, it's now time to say goodbye to the world. And then I'd say, Aww. hey, do you feel empathy for that person? Everyone would say, yeah. And I was like, well, I was being Hitler. So there you go. Because <laughs> that's, such a good point. that's what happens when yeah. uh, you have just unrestricted empathy for anyone and everyone because everyone has a narrative of I'm doing what's best for me. I'm doing what's right. I'm doing what's necessary in this situation and they can articulate that in a way that, uh, uh, you know, brings about a lot of empathy towards that person or that position. And it can be, yeah, it can be uh, manipulative consciously or subconsciously. And, 
yeah, stop doing that uh, because it just wasn't really funny and it's not appropriate in the context of a, of a comedy <laughs> show. But uh, I think my point was made. The point was very clear. Yeah, that's so that's so interesting. I saw another one actually that you did came on my TikTok feed yesterday and it was, um, sorry if I butcher this, but it was about how who would you, toxic masculinity and oh, that you need the toxic army. masculinity yeah. in the military and who would you want to protect you? Someone that wants to talk about their feelings and be like let's let's kind of sit down, let's put our guns down or would you rather someone go like be full in, ready to protect, ready to fight? And it's such a good point. It's kind of spot on with this, isn't it? That, that's, yeah. I got the kind of concept right there, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, uh, yeah, that, that joke definitely causes a stir in the comments and I love that. But Did it? Uh, on the in, on Instagram, that yeah. one went viral. I always love it when a stand-up clip goes viral because oh. um, that's always feels really nice because I put a lot of effort into those. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, that one. Yeah. Um, I set that up by asking the audience, like, who, what do you think of toxic masculinity? And there's always people saying we hate it, we don't like it. And then yeah, I someone said there's too much toxic masculinity in the army, which someone actually said to me, and I just oh. thought surely that's the one place you need it right but that's yeah. the one place where you've got to forego empathy and um yeah it's it's yeah. it's, it's a re- actually when you delve into it it's a really tough and hard topic to to broach because there are a lot of soldiers who come back with obviously horrendous ptsd but they're yeah they're just uh propaganda is essentially used uh for these soldiers to be able to dehumanize the enemy but it's beneficial for a military group, for a for a group of people who are protecting a, a society. They almost have to be able to dehumanize an uh, an enemy because if they're humanizing yeah. an empathy, well, the the army that can dehumanize them wins. And in a competitive world, which is what we do, where the the which is the world that we do live in, there are there are um there are things that have to be. There are very uh, uncomfortable truths that have to be employed uh, for the betterment of society. And look, I, I also just want to say I've never actually sort of been in the military and I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, just talk on behalf of everyone who's who's been there. And I know we have listeners who are in the Defence Force. So, yeah. well, now that this is going on YouTube, um, by the way, if you missed that first three minutes of the podcast, we are going back on YouTube, youtube.com slash at sex sales podcast. Uh, comment if I, you know, if, if there's more nuance to whether, cause, cause some of those comments on the clip were like, well, yeah, it's those soldiers that also brutally murder people for no reason and, and, and rape women and do all sorts of horrible things. And of course you would never justify anything like that. But when you're training, I suppose, like a, an elite fighting force to dehumanize and empathy and just exist as a unit and not as an individual, well, that. <sighs> they can't just turn that off. You know, they can't, it's very hard for these people yeah. to just integrate back into normal society. And that, well, American sniper articulated that very well, didn't it? With the man who yeah. was that, uh, what Bradley Cooper's character was a very prolific sniper in the, I think it was the Afghanistan or Iraq conflict. And then came back, tried to help other soldiers with PTSD who were struggling. And then one of them had an episode and very sadly killed him. So it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a toxic environment, you know, and on every side. And yeah, in an ideal world, sure that there, there there wouldn't be war or conflict, so we wouldn't have to suppress our empathy. But the world we live in has that, and we need to protect yeah ourselves and and I and was actually our country, um, and it's necessary. Exactly, it's necessary. I was reading up on this before about how. In some ways, neurodiversity or um, psychopathic traits, which, by the way, are two, <laughs> are not interrelated all the time, um, uh, is so beneficial when it comes to the military because people that are neurotypical in the military are one less likely to be aggressive, and two more likely to experience. Um, severe PTSD and not be able to continue. So in some ways we need people like that to, in our society if that's what, if we, you know, and I'm not going to go on about whether or not we need the military, but if, in the assumption that we do, um, those people will flourish and may may do the best. And the other ways in that um, there was this, I don't know how efficient this study was, I just read it briefly, but there was, I don't even know if it was a study, but it was called the, the Great 
British survey of like psycho, um, psychopaths or something like that, where they had as many people as they could um, fill out a questionnaire essentially and then they put their job title in as well. And everyone, so many thousands and thousands of participants did it. And what they found, which was really interesting, is of course people that had extremely high levels of um, empathy were saying that they were nurses, they were social workers, Doctors were even in there, which was interesting. Um, and another really interesting one was accountants. I don't know why, but they, they were right numbers. up there with the extremely high empathetic people. Yeah. How do you minimize the tax? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, and those that had the lowest levels of empathy or the highest levels of psychopathic traits um, were one, which I found really extremely interesting was the clergy, like people that like priests and pastors and things like that, which I thought mm-hmm. oh, that must be a power thing, like a narcissism thing. Um, oh, and then there was, all, okay, uh, yeah, well, anyway, we'll get back to it. Um, and then there was also, um, surgeons, um, and policemen, which were really high up there. So, and I thought, you know, then I thought about surgeons and I looked into that and their traits of, and of course also there were CEOs and lawyers and people in media and TV. Those were like the top 10. I don't know if that was 10, but that's what I remember. And just, and just clarify, these are um, the people with the highest degree of empathy. The lowest. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. So the ones that were highest were accountants, nurses, and social workers. And the ones with the lowest degrees of empathy were surgeons, policemen, um, the clergy and um, people in TV, film, and media, uh, lawyers, that, and TV, CEOs of high businesses. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. About when Sorry, you think about on. how they manipulate the contestants of <laughs> maps and things like that. Um, but yeah, then it was like, you know, it's so important that we have neurodiversity in, in examples like um, brain surgeons or neurosurgeons because they are more likely to take risk, risk, riskier decisions. Um, people that have are surgeons, I read, that have higher levels of empathy will say if there's not a high enough success rate, they will choose not to operate, whereas other surgeons may be like, this is worth the risk if it can save your life in the long term or prolong your life, let's give it a go kind of thing. Um, and so in that way, it can be extremely beneficial. And they're also more honest with their clients, uh, sorry, patients by saying, yeah, you you're not likely to survive much longer <laughs> um, and just getting it straight rather than being like, we're hopeful for, for this and never getting um, a solid answer. But yeah, I just thought that was, that was interesting. There was something in there that I was very surprised about. Um, but yeah, yeah, there you yeah, go. What are your thoughts on that? I did. I thought when you said clergy before that they were high in empathy, but the fact that they're low in empathy yeah, is very no, interesting. Yeah, isn't that? extremely because, low. <laughs> yeah. I would have thought um, the opposite um, for, yeah, yeah, those who are high up in the Christian church, uh, police. It makes perfect. Any 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 profession that involves some level of violence, there's An definitely authority. a limit to your empathy. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. If if a you know a violent individual who might have gone through some harsh experiences is uh, terrorizing um, innocent bystanders or a neighborhood, you gotta you gotta put that empathy down. You gotta do what needs to be done, and even security guards. Uh, you know, you can't be empathetic in that situation. You got to do what's, what's um, yeah, what's expected of you, and it's a it's a hard job. But the yeah. but the men who are well, that's the always the thing with police. People say, oh, the people the men who are attracted to policing are men who want power. Well, that's the sort of people you first of all, what do you expect? It's a, it's a very dangerous job mm. where you know you especially in America where everyone has a gun and. Don't even know if you're going to come home uh, that night. And I remember just as a quick anecdote, I got stopped by the police once because I was driving an unregistered vehicle accidentally. So there was nothing really uh, bad boy or naughty about it. It was just uh, I was an idiot and I forgot to pay my rego or something. Um, and then wrote me a ticket and um, I wasn't sure if I could drive the car back to to my place, which I couldn't, which seems a bit odd oh, to be yeah. honest. But um, I went and just... The, the police had written it, you know, told me everything and they were just sitting there. This was dark and it wasn't in like the hood of Sydney, but it was out west and um, they were just sitting there. And so I went back onto the police and just knocked on the window, right? And I could see that police officer get get jolted um, and oh. sort of 
clearly was on edge because someone just knocked on the window. And I really reflected on that and thought, my God, this guy is constantly living on edge. And imagine if that was America. I'd be shot if that was America. Brown guy goes and knocks on the bloody window. (laughs) They and 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 to then extend some empathy to the police there. Well, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to sort of take the you know take the chance that this person could have a gun and could be a a gangster or a criminal, um, and 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 just not you know do what needs to be done to protect you and your partner in order to be as politically correct as possible or do you just not take that risk and if if someone's being erratic and is putting their hand towards their hips well in a split second you got to make a decision there you got to think oh my god like this guy it's, my life or it's sure it's it's one percent that they have a gun and they're trying to kill me i'm not taking a one percent chance that i'm gonna die I gotta, yeah, I gotta do what needs to be done, and it's a really, uh, it's. I have a lot of respect for people in uh, violent professions, and that doesn't mean you know you don't call out the bad apples, and you, it doesn't mean that there there may be cultural concerns within certain professions, but you know this kind of idealistic utopian vision where you will never need the police or the the sort of the intellectual idea that the the police are just a fascist organization to keep you know, descent down is just a bit ridiculous, I think. And uh, the the police really stood out to me because there's a lot of, you know, there's a, just a lot of discourse. There's another, there's been another um, unknown black man killed in America and the video is really shocking and it was black police this time. So it's a, it's a bit yeah. of an intersectional conundrum there. But um, it's, it's just a very, look, it's never going to be a perfect utopia when we're dealing with policing and, you know, yeah, it's uh, it's really it's tough, and it's always going to be flawed. Yeah, yeah, and um, uh, it just reminds me of a quote by a intellectual called Thomas Sowell, and he said, "Since the 1960s, we've replaced what works with what feels good." And though I don't agree with him wow. entirely on that, there's a lot of wisdom in that yeah. concise quote. Yeah. Um, what feels good is not always what works. And sometimes to find out what works, you have to forego empathy and, and just look at the the brutal statistics, which can be very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And uh, But for, for compassion, and, and, you know, you need to differentiate between compassion and empathy here. For uh, long-term compassion, the best position could be something that doesn't foster the the utmost empathy in in the short term or in that given moment and it's like we've said on this podcast it can be pretty uncomfortable for people and even on this podcast I tend to just talk about trends and extrapolate things into a uh, macro level but I'm re- I think I'm quite high in empathy like I I struggle yeah. with you know even te- uh, you know being harsh towards people who haven't done a role that was expected of them <laughs> and yeah. uh, I I. I think I can be quite forgiving almost to a detrimental degree, but sometimes my empathy is directed towards things that aren't necessarily what is the, uh, I guess, mainstream political position or what is the, you know, the, the, the position that other people would think is the clear empathetic position. So uh, it then causes conflict. But, um, yeah, I know I wouldn't, I wouldn't be good in these kind of violent professions and I'm thankful that I live in a society where, you know, we don't. There isn't conscription, and there isn't constant conflict all the time. Where I, you know, as a, as a young man, would in, indefinitely be be on that front line and having a fight. I'm very thankful that we, mm. um, yeah. you know, imagine the the poor guys in Ukraine or Russia who were just going about their business, and now, boom, you you might die. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty tough. So, yeah, 100%. sometimes what works is not always uh, what feels good and um just coming back to i guess what the you know the core foundations of this podcast women are generally much higher in empathy but i read that study you were talking about on the last podcast about um women are actually higher in self-reported empathy whereas men Mm. often feel a lot of empathy but they 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 don't necessarily report that um Mm. which which really uh complicates things actually and it's very Mm. interesting but um so sometimes uh connect with uh 
whether it's your you know your female partner or just women as a as a class you have to articulate things in a more emotional and and empathetic way whereas men can sometimes uh you know hear that particularly men who are sort of skew more towards male traits and think it's just childish it's not like that they think it's uh stupid necessarily i don't think it's that they think it's uh lesser than but they just listen to maybe certain podcasts um that are very female skewed in terms of the audience and think well they're just talking about themselves <laughs> whereas then mm. you think about podcasts that are likely more male skewed in terms of audience i mean one that comes to mind could be more plates more dates or um even andrew huberman and guys like that that it's just a it's just a plethora of information and statistics just thrown at you <laughs> and for a lot of women they hate that they just think yeah. there's no actual humanity here uh, I'm, and i'm not trying to articulate what the experience would be but i'm yeah, just yeah. assuming that would that was what it yeah. would be um and so you know being able to communicate in a way that if you're if you're i i i'm i'm i think i'm quite empathetic in my personal lives but when i uh um you know in a in a podcast or even performing or sort of uh trying to talk on broader issues i i do tre- tend to be quite rational and logical yes. and and i think yeah. as far as i'm aware i think there's also like subconscious factors at play there but uh it, it's worthwhile if you're if you're like me to to train yourself to sometimes speak with a bit more empathy and and humanity and and vice versa um yeah there's this neutrality exactly yeah. the 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 sort of mantra that is um um subscribed to by a lot of you know young men who are on the conservative side of things are what facts over feelings but the best way forward is facts with feelings i don't think uh yep. just choosing facts over feelings is always the could be objectively correct but uh you can you can lose the human connection with a lot of people and not necessarily market your ideas well in a in a social media that landscape that is so true neil that 100% facts with what was it? Facts with feelings? Facts with feelings, yeah. I love that. And I'm, I'm so into that as well because obviously I'm a very, like I'm an emotional person. But my God, do I love my studies <laughs> and my research and knowing the facts and stats on everything. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a, such a good point. It's such a good um, medium between the two. And I was thinking, this is really unrelated, but it just popped into my head when you were talking about the what was it, the NRL player or some sportsman oh, yeah. with them. And um, recently, it's so sad, um, recently, I don't know if you heard a, a couple of days ago or from when we we're filming it a couple of days ago, there was um, a man left his baby in the, in, the, in the car and forgot about it when it was 32 degrees oh. in Sydney and went to get something from the shops, just, you know, when you're automatically driving and you just kind of on, yeah. on auto mode, he doesn't usually have the kid. He popped into the shops and totally forgot he had the baby uh, in the back. And uh, I actually I think it was a toddler and, um, and they died. Um, and it's just the <sighs> saddest thing. And then I saw a photo of this man and he's sitting on the edge of the curb, just sobbing like, Oh my God, it made me, I cried. I cried for like an hour. It was, it's so, so sad. Oh, I can't, yeah. but, and then I was thinking about like yesterday, I was like, oh, and the poor family, like imagine having to tell your wife what you did and then imagine the poor wife that she loses her child and then he might have to go to jail and then like, will he have to go to jail? And that'd be so slack. But then also how do you prove, how do you actually prove that it was an accident and would it be fair to not give him jail time because you feel so bad like what what is the ethical or what like do you rely on ethics or empathy or do you rely on the law um like i haven't i'm so i'm curious to see how that's going to kind of progress i don't know if i'll ever find the outcome of that but yeah it's it's one of those things like either way it's just so shit like what what way do you go in that what direction how do you go with that it's so sad yeah it's who knows it's yeah, just it's one of those situations where it's just a tragedy all round. You know, there's yeah, it's very hard to yeah. you know whether you attribute guilt to that person who just might not be a bad person, but did a just a really bad. And then you know, it, it is just forgetting something or just a lapse in judgment isn't necessarily even a bad thing. That's um, that's just 
That's yeah. terrible. Um, yeah. Exactly. And ending yeah. on a, a... And I saw it on... Um, oh, sorry. No, you go. You good? Okay. Um, I saw it on Reddit and... Um, oh, I saw it come up on Reddit and it like in the Sydney page or something. And so many people, uh, men and women, were commenting saying like hundreds being like, I've forgotten my kids in the car, but I've just was so lucky that it was a cold day or like they were like sleep deprivation or just any change in the routine. If you've driven, if you've been the one to drive your kid to daycare every single day for a year and then all of a sudden the husband has to do it and he automatically just drives to work and forget like it happens all the time. So it was, I guess that was another interesting factor is how many people are saying, yeah, I've actually done this, but I was just really lucky. Yeah, and how many people have Crazy. had car accidents? Just not, you know, they're not yeah. bad drivers. They're not negligent drivers. I've, I've, you know, yeah. scraped people. I've uh, missed my blind spot once and nearly had a pretty bad crash, actually. But I'm not a. I don't. At least I don't think I'm not a negligent driver. I wasn't drunk yeah. or speeding or anything. And and you know, thank God that no really major tragedy happened there. But um, everyone knows someone who's been in a car accident, and no one could be at fault in that situation it could just be yeah. someone's stress someone's um you know yeah. misses their blind spot misses uh just just is thinking about something and they're not bad people i don't think that's an evil person i don't think that is even someone who i don't know how they determine negligent driving but i don't think that's as punishable as maybe some other people think if if it was a true accident um and there was no genuine negligence involved it's just it's just a tragedy all around and yeah i mean how many toddlers are still run over in their driveway it's just it's a really horrible statistic and i think you mentioned a few podcasts ago how many babies are sort of mauled by dogs and yeah it's just um that that's clearly obviously an extremely vulnerable stage of uh human existence and and then it makes sense while they select jury at total random so that you have a you never know if you're going to have highly empathetic people or people that have no empathy or whatever. It just it's the only way to keep it fair. I, well, I can is there even a way to keep it fair when it's people making this making decisions on their opinions on the outcome of someone else's life? And like you said at the start, those can be swayed so strongly just by the appearance of someone. If they're attractive, they're less they're way less likely to get longer sentences. Um, if they look sad and remorseful, people are more likely to be empathetic towards them. It's just like fascinating it's so complex yeah we talk about this for like hours. oh and i love this topic and i think it's really relevant but uh <laughs> yeah i think that's a good yeah. good point to uh end on and uh one more time i'll i'll mention that we do have the youtube channel go subscribe youtube.com slash at sex sales podcast and um looking forward to seeing the discussion in the comments again and um apologies that i took that off i didn't realize how many people really loved uh, the discussion in the comments there so um yeah i think neil and jordan is going to be on a hiatus unfortunately for the for the foreseeable future so allows me a bit more time to organize some uh some things on this podcast and and do things like put it on youtube so definitely go subscribe to that even if you listen via audio just go click subscribe anyway um and uh hopefully you uh enjoyed this podcast and could empathize with the positions we were taking and uh we will see you next time thanks guys see you next week